Knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner. Like, He's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn and we are happy to be back with you. Angela and I haven't recorded for a couple of weeks because I recorded last week's episode by myself like a couple weeks ago. So uh, anyways, Angela, how's it going? Wow, long time no listen, Colleen. It's going great. It's <laughs> We've just had a few lovely spring days here in Chicagoland in the parking lots. It hasn't all melted yet, but uh, the high today is 50 and it's cloudy and <laughs> it feels like the winter is almost over. <laughs> well, a week ago today... Uh, we got a big blizzard, the biggest one that we've had. I heard about in, it. I don't know, a while. You know, people think Colorado gets so much snow, but really in the plains where I live, so I don't live in the mountains. In, in the mountains, that's true, you know, which is great for the for the skiing. But where I live, it the weather is actually very, very mild. Having lived in Iowa, having lived in outside Chicago, mm-hmm. The, the weather here is very mild. You know, we say if it snows, it's going to melt the next day. Yeah. And that does tend to happen. We got a little bit left on the ground, especially, you know, when you go to the parking lots where they've um, kind of pushed a big mountain of mm-hmm. snow up. You got some of those still around. Yeah. And, but a lot of it is gone. And, and we are planning our summer trip. You know, we like to travel in our motorhomes. So my husband and I are doing that right now. So I'm so excited. We're going to go up to Glacier National Park. Oh, wow. I'm jealous. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, we've never we've never been there. We've been to Yosemite and Yellowstone a couple of times and, you know, a bunch of other places. But we, my husband has really wanted to go to Glacier. And then from where we're staying, kind of our last night in Glacier is, I think, only like five hours to my aunt and uncle's house in Canada. So we're going to go up in Canada, go to Calgary, and uh, we're kind of figuring out from there, one of our plans was going to then drive from Calgary to Vancouver and then down a little bit on the West Coast. But we haven't, we have to decide how long we're going to plan on being gone um, before we can fully do that. But I'm very excited because I love traveling 
in the motorhome. So this sounds like an amazing trip. I I know you guys are going to have a great time. And I have been dying to ask you about your trip from last week. You had a trip to a conference where you were a speaker. How did it go? Yeah, it was it was it was really fun. You know, uh, my mom was going to go with me because my nephew was spending his spring break with us. And so my husband was hoping to get more time with my nephew. But my dad last week ended up in the hospital in ICU. Mm. He got influenza and he was having um, just all kinds of issues with his heart and just it was kind of a mess obviously my mom couldn't go so last minute considering the blizzard it was like the lord i don't think we're going to get out there i was at the point where i almost said i don't think we're going to get out there but we were able to get tickets on a on a flight on thursday and when we got to the airport there was people that said that they'd been in line for two hours to change their flight wow and we just walked right on our flight which was so amazing and anyways we, we had such a great time. I got to hang out with Andrew Rappaport and Justin Peters and Andrew's wife and uh, Frank Mullis and some other people. And it was just a lot of fun. I'd, I'd, never speak, I'd never spoken at a conference before. And so I was a little bit nervous and probably do better if I'm able to do that sort of thing again. You know, I had made an outline for my talk and it was very similar to what I would do when we do the podcast Mm. and it ended up being like 30 minutes long and I had an hour so I hadn't and I'm like well I guess I didn't like weigh the fact that Angela's usually here doing half (laughs) the talking and so then it it worked out though because I said let's just do a question and answer and a lot of the gals shared Mm. and so yeah it was it was a lot of fun. I had fun meeting people. I met gals from our group and listeners to the podcast and just had a lot of fun. Well, I know that the topic of the conference was suffering, and I know also that you have tons of wisdom on that topic. So I'm wondering for our listeners who weren't able to make it to the conference, were the sessions recorded? Are they available somewhere to listen to? They're not available yet, and they're finding out if they're going to be available or not. So I'll keep everybody updated so yeah so I think they're you know they were I know that they were recorded back to my husband stayed in the room and managed the camera while I was in there which I was glad to have him nearby and oh and I got to see uh, my family because I have family out there too so after the conference we spent a couple days with family and so that was that was really great because I don't get to see my cousins very often. Sounds like you had a fantastic multi-dimensional trip. Yes, I th- I think it was. I think it was. It was fun to get away. So, um, though I think my husband's still a little bit upset. I, the whole time I was thinking, what is my house going to look like when we get home? <laughs> there was five boys here. <laughs> Let me guess. They cleaned it all up from top to bottom, and it was a That's show right. place when you got home. I think they were, it was funny because we called when we got off the plane, and Austin says, tell me when you're going to be home because we're going to have dinner ready for you. Oh. And I thought, well, maybe they're going to have it all together. I think that was to like try to soften the blow <laughs> of how the kitchen looked. Give me the five-minute warning so we can at least throw away the pizza boxes. <laughs> 
You know, I have two kids that are as neat as neat could be. They're organized. Their rooms always look great. Wow. And then I have two kids that um, are not. (laughs) And what happens is the two kids that are neat complain. I'm always the one. And so then they just kind of go, I'm not going to clean the kitchen. I'm always the one that cleans the kitchen. Mm. They'll still keep their rooms clean. So anyways, I think (laughs) think Brent has a little talk with them all about it. I, yeah, well, of course, you all know that my kids are still very little, but I am fairly certain I got zero children who are neat as neat can be. So, <laughs> you know, it didn't, I don't think it really showed up until, well, I think Benjamin was probably always um, a little bit that way, but I think we saw it more as they got older. Mm. So I think sometimes There's... kids can be messy when they're younger and get neater when they're older. All right, I still have hope. I'm holding yeah, out hope. Yeah, so that's I'm trying to <laughs> trying to encourage encourage you that it can still happen. <laughs> Well, growing up, my kids, it was always one neat with one messy. So mm. I, you know, it, it was for their sanctification. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, and they would drive each other crazy. You know, you always, you you always mess up the room. Mm-hmm. You always bug me about it. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. But they, generally speaking, my kids actually do a lot. They make um, a lot of the meals and do a lot of cleaning and whatnot. So good. But good I think kid. more so when we're telling them to. <laughs> so today. For a while, some gals have asked us to do an episode on the Ten Commandments, and it's definitely one that I wanted to do. One thing I wanted to say ahead of time, because I've done this this week, the last few days, is if you want to study the Ten Commandments, I think that the Westminster Shorter Catechism the Heidelberg Catechism, and definitely the Westminster Larger Catechism are a great guide. Because when I've done, gone through the Ten Commandments, I've, I've often taken each one of those things. And really, the Larger Catechism really deals with things in a different way than the Shorter Catechism or the Heidelberg. And so it's great to have all three. And even the things that we're going to quote today, we're going to kind of go back and forth between those. We're not going to stick with the same one. So I just wanted to use that as a as a good a good guide, and I will tell you as we d- dig into them. One th- so when I became reformed, one thing that was very eye opening for me. It, so the first reformed church that I joined was the RPCNA, and within the first few weeks, when it was clear I was going to stick around, uh, the pastor gave me a copy of the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechisms, and you have to remember this is before the internet as we know it now. I mean, the internet was around, but I didn't have it. And this is 1994, and it was newer. And so going, I really saw the Ten Commandments in a very new way. And I'll I'll mention some of those things I'm talking about. That murder doesn't just mean, you know, oh, you know, I'm good on that one. I ain't ever going to murder anybody. (laughs) I have not stabbed anyone today. So I'm and good. I'm not planning on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> best laid plans, but so far so good. You know, Angela, I, w- I wanted you to talk about, since you shared with me recently, that uh, when we talk about the law, and if you've not listened to our episodes on the law, please do that. Both our episodes on the law and our episodes on law and gospel. When we talk about the law, we may say it's split into civil, ceremonial, and moral laws, 
or we may talk about the three uses, mm -hmm. which would be to the civil use, which is to restrain sin and God's common grace, um, the pedagogical use, which is to act as a schoolmaster, and the normative use, which instructs Christians in godliness. But you told me something about those two different ways to speak about the law recently I'd like you to share. Yeah. Um, when I was first studying Reformed theology, you know, it took me a little while to realize that these were two different ways, um, two different types of categories for viewing the law. And I'll even back it up a little further. We talk a lot on Theology Gals about law-gospel distinction, and that's sort of a way to categorize the two types of words in Scripture when we read Scripture, um, you know, the, the law commands and the gospel promises. So anytime we read something that's commands, those are law, and that's just a general category. And then when we take those words in the Scripture that are law— we can boil that down a little further and say that we can categorize them into three types of law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law, um, like Colleen just said. Um, but then separate from those three types of law is the three uses of the law. And we're going to talk about the three types, civil, ceremonial, and moral, and how um, one of those is enduring for all time and still applies to us today. If we take that one, which is the moral law, we now can boil it down one step further and say that we have three uses for that law even now today. So I just wanted to start with that and explain um, I found that initially confusing when I was first studying Reformed theology, especially I think because in the three types of law, you may also hear that called the threefold division of the law. We have one called civil use, and then also on the three uses of the law, we have one called civil use. So um, that can be a little bit confusing, but they are two different sort of paradigms for looking at the law. I think that's a good point because I maybe take for granted that there we have a lot of listeners that are new to Reformed theology and maybe didn't think through that. And so when we're first talking about when we're talking about law and gospel and we're talking about the third use, which really what we're going to talk about today, really, when we talk about the practical, how we obey the Ten Commandments, mm -hmm. that we are talking about the three, the third use, mm -hmm. which is how we live as Christians, how we how Christians are to be instructed in godliness. And but it's important then to say, well, which laws? You right. know, you have the Hebrew roots that are out there saying, well, as many as you can, mm -hmm. um, and not recognizing that there are civil and ceremonial laws that we are not called um, to live in obedience to, but the moral law. And the Ten Commandments is the moral law. And We've talked about before how the Ten Commandments is split into the two tables of the law. We've got regarding us and God, and then we have um, regarding us and our neighbor. And then we see in the New Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Mm, yes. So it took me a little while to understand, and I think uh, maybe that'll help some of our friends along in understanding the Reformed view of the law. So it's perfect. Yeah, I think that's important. And one thing I want, because we're really going to be talking a lot of law on this episode, but we are going to talk about the gospel in the end, because I don't want anyone to walk away from this episode feeling crushed and hopeless. I want them to be reminded 
of Christ. And that is where our hope is, because we're going to fail on all of these, especially as we dig into these and realize it's not just thou shall not murder, that if you hate your brother, and when you start looking at all of the things that fall into those, um, it's so important for us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that he's the author and perfecter of our faith, and and that he is our hope, not our obedience to these laws. One thing I wanted to mention, I learned this years and years ago, um, that the way that we split up the Ten Commandments and the way that the Lutherans and Catholics split up the Ten Commandments is different, which maybe some people don't know that. And so the Lutherans, and I don't know the Catholic ones as well, so it may be identical to the Lutherans, but the Lutherans kind of combine the first two, and then we would uh, combine the what they have is the last two. Thou shalt not cover your neighbor's wife, and then that, and then going on from there. And so that that's kind of where the difference is that you will see. And I did look in Luther's catechism because I think that's where Lutherans get it, and he, that's the way that he had it uh, split up, the way that the Lutherans have it today. Did you know that, Ashley, Angela? Um, you know, I um, I did know that, but I learned that from. Um, I think reading a post in Theology Gals. (laughs) It's been some time ago, a long time ago. Um, So I didn't always know it, but um, I I did know it recently. And it's helpful because um, sometimes if you're reading a theology source and you don't realize that, you know, because there are some things that we have in common with Lutheranism, justification by faith alone, and it can be helpful to read theology from other traditions. Um, It took me a while to realize, oh, their numbering is different. (laughs) Um, right. So it can be confusing at first, but don't be confused. It's just different numbers. So we're going to go ahead and start, since we at least understand the law and gospel that the the law demands and the gospel promises, and we talked about that a lot in our gospel episode too. Um, so I, w- I want us to be mindful of that as we as we read through this. But the, in the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to use Exodus 20, uh, it's He starts out, the Lord starts out by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So what does that mean? And, you know, uh, I've done some Old Testament Bible studies lately, and you can see where the Israelites are going and worshiping other gods. They are absolutely disobeying this. But But I guess the question is, Angela, is that, you know, I'm not going out and worshiping other gods so i'm i'm good right (laughs) oh boy as we know anything could be an idol um and you know it's what we give our allegiance to it's what we give our attention to it's what we give our time to um but yeah uh this is not just um so what I'm talking about um, with idolatry is um, explained in the Heidelberg Catechism number 95. The question is, what is idolatry? And the answer is, idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. And, you know, I think this is a definition that most of us are probably familiar with, even if we are not familiar with catechisms and confessions. This is something that we have all heard, is putting anything in the place of God or adding anything to God um, is an idol. And so that's something that breaks the commandment. So I think when you were talking earlier, Angela, and when you talked about idolatry, 
and being part of this commandment and then just read Heidelberg right there. I think that all of a sudden puts it in a whole new light that anytime I'm putting anything before the Lord, I'm putting something before the Lord. I'm having an idol Mm -hmm. and I'm breaking that first commandment. Mm -hmm. That's sobering because I put a lot before the Lord. Yeah. I, I like the, um, you know, backing up just one question in the Heidelberg Catechism to 94. I like the language here that helps us understand how very important this is. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience. Expect all good from him only and love, fear, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against his will. And you know what I love about this is that um, it's telling me that I need to forsake all false ideas about God. Not, you know, it's not just a physical idol that I would, you know, kneel down and worship like um, certain other religions do. False ideas about God. It's important for me to have my theology of God correct, and it tells me right in this answer that it's um, my theology of God comes from the Word. It comes from the way that He is revealed in Scripture. If you ever want on any of these commandments to find like a practical list, which will really help you see this commandment clearly, look in the larger catechism. You know, the larger catechism says the duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and to glorify him accordingly. And I wanted to stop here. One thing that we see in, I would actually argue in the first four commandments is why we believe in the regular principle of worship. Mm. So worshiping him accordingly falls right in. But by thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of him, it goes on from there. And we think about how much we fail in those things. Mm. Absolutely. But all of those go with this first commandment. I, you know, I think that this is why the first commandment to worship no other gods is really the foundation for our piety. So much else just flows straight out of this. Yeah, you know that the um, on this question and answer from the larger catechism, it even says the omission or neglect of anything due him required in this commandment, ignorant, ignorance, forgetfulness, misapprehensions, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of him, bold and curious searching into his secrets, all profaneness, hatred of God, self-love, self-seeking, goes on from there. All of that, wow, Yeah, we have really broken, at least I have really broken this commandment, much more than I'd like to think I have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that I want to point out that is uh, that will stay with us through each of these um, commandments is that I love how thorough the Reformed uh, confessions and catechisms are in um, giving us both things that we are to do and to not do. It's, it's both kinds of categories. Yeah, and we even think of sins of omission— Mm-hmm. which is the ones we don't think about as much. We, much. we think about sin, sins of commission. Mm-hmm. I've committed this thing. Do not steal, I stole. Mm-hmm. But sins of omission, I've neglected to worship God like I ought. Mm, that yes. is still a sin. 
you. Yes, absolutely. And so there's a lot of things within these within these commandments. So Angela, what's commandment two? This is, uh, again, we're back in Exodus 20 and starting in verse four, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So the second commandment then is about graven images. And um, I do believe we have a full episode on the second commandment. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, we absolutely do. So this again is not, well, I've never made a golden calf, so I'm good. I obeyed this one. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, we, this is, <laughs> we believe that this is telling us no images of the Trinity at all. Um, because just as we said a minute ago about the first commandment, we are to get our ideas about who God is from the scripture. And he has chosen to reveal himself in his word. He chose us to give, he chose to give us his written word rather than a picture book. And, um, you know, we believe this is because God cannot be uh, represented in images, and we we can't see how we could have an image without being driven to worship. So, And this is a difficult one, I think, for a lot of people. We are not to, as Angela was saying, we are not to, to depict that what we worship. And a lot of people misunderstand that because pictures of Jesus have become so common or using a dove to portray the Holy Spirit, that these things have become so common mm. that um, I think a lot of people are like, but I but I like my pictures of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I always say to people, what's the purpose of that picture of Jesus? That even if you're not worshiping that picture, the purpose of that picture is to encourage someone to ultimately worship. So it is connected to worship, whether people want to admit that or not. You see a picture of Jesus standing with his, you know, with his staff and and pulling the the um, hurt sheep or the lost sheep, and you think, oh, that's just like me. Oh, I I love the Lord, and now you're worshiping. Mm-hmm. And so it is for the purpose of worship. Those pictures are for the purpose of worship. That's exactly right. And you know, it's it's interesting that. Um, when I think about images of Jesus, and you know, my family took a trip to Italy um, quite a few years ago, and we went to the Vatican, and it is full of uh, religious art, and it is lots and lots and lots of Second Commandment violations. And um, what's interesting, you know, a lot of these images originated in a period of time when, um, as we can imagine, not everyone had their own copy of the Bible. Um, and, in fact, almost no one would have, you know, those would have been kept by the church. And um, it just is very interesting to me to think about um, how what that meant was for those people in that time to hear the word, um, their opportunity to hear the word would have been the gathered assembly. And that's it. And so the introduction of images for sort of a teaching tool was really kind of a man's invention on, hey, what we've got here isn't good enough. We, we got to help these people out. And, um, you know, that's not what we're commanded. We, we should um, love the word that we were given and how we were given to know God and understand him and know who he is. And this, when I talked about the regulative principle of worship, the second or this 
uh, 108 in the larger catechism under what are the duties required in the second commandment says the duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances has got as God has instituted in his word. So there you have the regulative principle of worship mm. again. And it goes on to describe uh, what those are. And I will tell you that our catechism even says, for the purpose of religious education, you know, what about pictures of Jesus when I'm teaching my kids? I can guarantee your kids will be fine. My kids mm-hmm. did not have any pictures of Jesus in any of our Bible story books, and they still understood who Jesus was. That's right. Uh, I have two young children, and we um, don't have pictures of Jesus in our um, children's books, and my children have no trouble. So, um, yeah, this is where the catechism is really helpful for us. So, Yeah, and even in the children's catechism, because it does talk about these same things in the children's catechism, I've heard stories of kids who've memorized the children's catechism and see a picture of Jesus and say, hey, that's not right. That's against the second commandment. So... We have to um, be mindful of that. And if we did do a whole episode on that, and there's a lot of, uh, of links. I think one of the most interesting things that I have linked in there is a podcast that R. Scott Clark did because he talks about the history. If you think about the fact that nobody who knew Jesus made artwork of him mm. or the generation following. Mm. Yeah. So why is that? And I've, I've said a gazillion times before that my father who converted from orthodox judaism because of his studies before he even became a christian is he's against um depicting jesus because he understands that so third commandment from from exodus 20 verse 7 you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain for the lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain I guarantee you we've all broken all of these commandments. Yes, absolutely. I know that I have. Um, Question 54 from the Westminster Shorter says, What is required in the third commandment? The third commandment requireth the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. You know, one one of the ones that gets me on this list is word. Um, You know, I have sometimes joked using... um, parts of scripture as part of the joke. And um, this is not being referent to God's word. And so I would call that a third commandment violation. Uh, Again, I love these lists that are in our catechisms because it really shows me, wow, just how much is required by the law and how far short I fall. Right, which helps us to even greater understand God's love and grace towards us. Mm in forgiving us and clothing us in his righteousness. And in the larger catechism, it it literally has what is required in the third commandment and what sins are forbidden in the third commandment. And when you start reading those lists of everything that this entails, that the name of God, his titles, attributes, ordinances, the word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, his works, and whatever else, there is whereby he makes himself known, be holily and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing. I mean, and, you know, Angela, you were just talking about reverence. That's one thing I think that I was so grateful for when I became Reformed was I had long felt like that there was no reverence for God and His Word. Mm, yes, absolutely. I, You know, 
Question 55, um, what is forbidden in the third commandment? The third commandment forbids all profaning and abusing of anything whereby God maketh himself known. So it's so much broader than just um, not saying God's name when we're angry um, or right. as a joke. It's so much more. It's his entire character. It's all of the ways that he makes us makes himself known. Um, and just like you said, the the reverence for his word, the the reverence for how he communicates with us. Um, so this this commandment basically it orders us not to associate our creator with wickedness or invoke his name, anything that reveals him in a trivial manner. We should really be very. Um, it's really just telling us be reverent towards the Lord and um, all of the ways that he shows himself to us. You know, I I think in these first three commandments, when I had said in the beginning that I really do think that all of these, the first four, really are tied to our worship of God. And it's just a reminder to me about how important right worship is as I read these commandments. Mm. Yes, I definitely agree with you, Colleen, these first four being so closely tied to worship. And that, you know, is connected to the two tables of the law, that first table being those first four to love the Lord your God. That's our upward um, worship of God, um, which is different than loving our neighbor. That's the second table of the law. So that first table is so closely tied to worship. And that is why these first four commandments are so closely tied to worship. I also think about how our love of neighbor is directly tied to our love of God. Mm, yes, absolutely. And even more so to God's love for us, um, because he's sanctifying us that we can love our neighbor. So I know we just did an episode on the Sabbath, but why don't you read the fourth commandment? I know we're, and by the way, audience, ladies, gentlemen that listen, um, I know we're rushing through these, and that's just for time's sake, um, but... I do encourage everyone to go read both Westminster Catechisms and Heidelberg and and read all these on your own. You know, take a week, maybe take 10 days and read one each day in each of those. And I will add on there as well. If um, I, I've read the larger and the shorter and the Heidelberg, I really do love the, what the Heidelberg um, says and uh, the larger on those long lists of uh, the commission and omission. Um, these are the things you're to do. These are the things to not do. But if that leaves you wanting, there's even another resource that I would recommend. It's called the Shorter Catechism Explained from Scripture. This is by Thomas Vincent. So it takes the Shorter Catechism questions and then breaks each question down into several additional catechism questions. So if these lists are not detailed enough for you, here is an additional resource that will tell you even more detail. And that is, um, you can find that for free online. Um, that has helped me sometimes when I have more detailed questions um, than the answers to the catechism. Um, so the fourth commandment, we're going back to Exodus, and we are in Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
And we've done two whole episodes just on the Sabbath. And again, I think that this is a new idea for people. Um, There's even some people that I've run into that have come out of Hebrew roots. And so they're opposed to Hebrew roots. And they get very nervous when you start talking about Sabbatarianism, because they came out of this Hebrew roots Sabbatarianism. Right. And I think that that is where our threefold division of the law can help us. Um, where we've got this, the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. And so there were a lot of ceremonial laws in ancient Israel um, that had to do with how to observe the Sabbath. But we believe that the ceremonial law and the civil law have been abrogated. And you can read about that in the Westminster Confession but that the moral law is enduring um, for all time, and that reveals God's character for all time in all places. And so um, the moral law is summed up in the Ten Commandments, and here we have the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. And so we do believe that observance of the Sabbath is enduring for all time, and yes, it's still for today. It's interesting. I was having a a conversation with a friend earlier this week about what this means, and I was uh, you know, saying that I've known people um, before in certain more evangelical circles who talk about Sabbathing, and what they mean is um, almost anything that falls under the heading of leisure. I remember having a a conversation um, with a friend quite a few years ago, and they it was just a dinnertime conversation. It was a conversation starter. This person said, well, how is your family Sabbathing lately? And, um, you know, he sort of meant, you know, did you play golf on Tuesday? Have you guys gone to the park? Did you go for a bike ride? It was mainly, how do you spend some leisure time? And that's very different than what we actually believe the Sabbath is for. And we believe that God... um, showed us as a creation ordinance that it's a pattern of what we are to be doing and that the whole day is to be taken up in in worship of the Lord. You know, this week I was reading something from Calvin that I jotted down because since all of these, again, this has to do with our worship of God because one of the things that we are called to do on the Sabbath is the worship of God. But I had jotted down this little quote from Calvin that I just looked up again because I didn't have it close, but it says, since God has prescribed to us how he would be worshipped by us, whenever we turn away in the very smallest degree from this rule, we make to ourselves other gods and degrade him from his right place. And I think about this in, in view of each of the four commandments we've just talked about, that anytime I'm straying from what the Lord has prescribed, which, of course, I fall short horribly. Mm. Uh, from this, and so grateful for Christ and his righteousness. But that really puts each of these into perspective. Anytime that I stray from honoring the Sabbath, like I ought, from whenever I have idols, each of these things. Mm. Well, I know that we have two whole episodes about what the Sabbath is, but I will just read one of these catechism questions just to briefly um, explain how we believe that the Lord's Day is observed by believers today. Um, I'll read Westminster Shorter Catechism number 60. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, 
even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Um, And that last little bit, you know, um, we hear sometimes, well, you know, I'm a doctor or I'm a police officer. I have to work on Sunday. Those are works of necessity and mercy um, that are being talked about here. Yeah, I hear sometimes people say, but I still have to work on Sundays because I have to bathe my kids and nurse the baby and and make lunch and, and these sorts of things. And I've talked about before, then those are those are works of necessity. And I've talked about before that I often do do everything I can to prepare Sunday's meal on Saturday so that my work is even less. So when we have people over for lunch, I can enjoy that time. And so there's a lot of things you can do even to prepare for the Sabbath, which I encourage ladies to do. Everyone knows how crazy Sunday mornings are if you've got <laughs> little kids, right? That's like right. trying to get out the door. Yes. Uh, yeah, my my mother-in-law often told the story that she would get the kids up ready in the car and she'd be sitting in the car in the garage honking the horn for, for dad to come, which um, I think that was how it was in my house too. But <laughs> I, no, no offense to my father. my That's just the different, different personalities. But um, I think that there are a lot of things that you can do to be prepared. I would have all the clothes ironed. Yes, I still iron everything. All the clothes ironed, laid out. The baths were done Saturday. Um, I made a breakfast. I mixed up a breakfast casserole that I put in the fridge on Saturday night when I woke up in the morning. I had a, our, our Sunday mornings were smooth because of that preparation that I'd done. I'd wake up, put the casserole in the in the oven, which had to cook for an hour, get myself ready, get all the kids ready. My husband was getting ready and helping get the kids ready. And then we'd meet all for breakfast with enough time to eat breakfast and clean up the dishes and be on out the door for church. And I usually had, you know, if I had stuff for the crock pot, I had it all mixed and ready to just throw in. So there wasn't a lot of prep work. Mm, yeah. It, so that is uh, similar to my um I'm going to say my goals <laughs> in our household were not always um, successful, but um, thank- thankfully, um, you know, my assurance is not found in my Sabbath keeping. However, I I do really love the freedom to be able to set the, do- the day aside and um, to worship the Lord instead of grocery shopping and... Um, all of the other things that take up all of those other days, it, it really is a wonderful rhythm to have. So my day is similar to yours. I usually put something in the oven in the morning. The one thing that I wish I could do the day before is have my sho- kids put their shoes on. Boy, <laughs> that is... Uh... Yeah, that probably takes longer than the rest of the morning than together, right? Anything else How many mind? times yes. do I have to tell you yes. to put your shoes on? A half hour later, are your shoes and socks on? I'm doing it. Really? Right. Really? Okay. <laughs> All right. Sure. You know what? That it's very similar when they get older, and you say, "Have you done your homework yet?" I'm doing it now. <laughs> you know, as they pull out their backpack, right? Exactly. right? I'm. I, I. What I have discovered with my children is, I'm doing it means I'm still thinking about it while I do something right. else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I actually haven't actually started doing mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yep, I, I hear you. And and you know what? Even when you do prepare, it doesn't mean that your mornings are going to, 
you know, go perfect. I think it was a Sunday morning that my son, you know, at two painted the bathroom with one of my lipsticks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those, those things happen. <laughs> Not on the at Sabbath. Tea. Right. I I broke my toe one Sabbath morning. um, And then there was a time I burned myself very badly. So sometimes you're you're grateful for the ER doctors that are working on the Sabbath. So, uh, okay, so let's move on to the the fifth commandment, which I think that everyone knows. You know, I think people if you if you were to walk the streets and say, what are the Ten Commandments? Most people are going to list things from the second table of the law. Thou shall not murder. Mm-hmm. Thou shall not, you know, they'll probably say lie, um, obey your parents, you know, or something like that. I think if you were to go on the street. I know that Whitehorse Den years ago, this is like early 90s, sent their producer, I don't know where he was exactly, and asked people, what are the Ten Commandments? And most people could not name them. Oh. So, But if your kids are catechized, then they should be able to name them. <laughs> Uh, so on the on the fifth commandment, which has to do with our parents, and isn't it interesting that the first that the first commandment to address loving our neighbor has to do with our parents? I, I think that's interesting. So honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So what does that mean to honor? Do I, so as long as I just honor my father and mother, I'm good. Right. I'm going to be good at keeping all these. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's kind of similar to to the one about uh, um, honoring the Lord. And it's much, much broader than just, you know, not telling a your mama joke, you know. Okay, so the um, Westminster Shorter Question 64 asks us, what is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requires the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. What is forbidden in the fifth commandment? This is question 65. The the fifth commandment forbids the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty, which belongs to everyone in their several places and relations. So it sounds like this is going beyond just your natural parents. And you know, it in the larger catechism, it adds to that by saying, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and authority according to their several ranks and the nature of their places. And so we're talking about anyone in authority basically having respect and honor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and for the the commands and and standards of those that are in authority of us, as long as it is lawful. You know, a lot of people will say, but what if I'm commanded to do something that's against that law? God's law, then it is not lawful. We are not to submit to things that are disobedience to God. Right. So this is, again, talking about um, respecting authority. And then the negative side of that would be, don't be rebellious against authority. And if you want to look in the larger catechism, there's a whole section that talks about what is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors? What are the sins of inferiors against their superiors? What is required of superiors towards their inferiors? What are the sins of superiors? What are the duties of equals? What are the sins of equals? It goes pretty, you can tell just from the questions. And you know the larger catechisms, some of those answers are long. Mm-hmm. So uh, I haven't even attempted to to memorize the larger catechism. But so so really... 
it this is this goes in very deep if you want to look at the the larger catechism it's going to go in quite in detail about what this looks like and you know i have not always honored my mother and father if i just want to think about my mother and father and i read something this week that that honor continues after your 18th birthday mm. you know oh i'm 18 i don't have to do that anymore now uh, now, how that looks is going to change as you're an adult, as you're married. Obviously, if your parents want you to do one thing and your husband wants you to do something else, I think that you are under your husband's authority, not under your parents' authority. Mm. But there is still an honor. And honor does not always mean obeying every little thing. Yeah. And you know, again, the this is where the expanded um, questions in the larger are going to be helpful because they're going to talk about the duties of superiors as well, uh, you know, not being overbearing, not provoking children. So, you know, we know that that relationship changes um, as children become adults, but the duty to honor does not go away. I think we would probably do a whole episode on that sometime, what honor means. Um, You know, I think that would be a good episode. So can you read uh, the sixth commandment? Yes. The sixth commandment, going back to Exodus 20, you shall not murder, and that is verse 13. And like we said earlier, um, I, I'm, I'm, I doubt I'm ever going to murder someone, Angela. Probably so not. I can cross this one off, right? Done. Done did it. I'm good. Actually, wait a minute. Now, what did Jesus say if you hate your neighbor? Uh-oh. <laughs> I might be guilty. Let's... Uh, Let's read Heidelberg 105. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also, the government bears the sword to prevent murder. Wow. So anytime I've had hate in my heart for anybody, yeah, because every person is my neighbor, this does not just mean the people that live on the left and the right of you. Well, you know, the writers of the Heidelberg, Caspar Olivianus, anticipated this question. Does this commandment speak only of killing? This is question 106. By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all of these as murder. So yes, if I have hated my neighbor in my heart, I have murdered. I think one thing we should mention is that there's been a lot of conversations, and I'm going to link something from the Heidel blog, because he has a conversation about this, and that is the difference between murder versus kill. And you'll find... You'll find different things in different versions of scripture, which is something our Scott Clark talks about in that article. So that there, he actually has a quote from that article that says, the injunction against murder and the institution of capital punishment is grounded not in Moses, but in creation. Mm. So it's important to remember that uh, killing someone for capital punishment is not the murder that is being referred to here. Right, right. And this is not um, forbidding nations from going to war and that sort of thing. Yeah, if um, somebody breaks into your house and is about to kill your child and you have your gun and shoot and kill them, that is not the murder that's being spoken of here. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I think that's that's important. But there's so many different things that it has to do with hating our hating our neighbor. And you know what? I actually probably, sometimes it's the people that I know closely that I have the hardest time 
fighting not to hate. Mm. And I know hate is a very strong word. And maybe I don't think of it in terms of that. But I do have um, emotions and act on them that could probably be in that category towards people. Definitely. I, I, you know, this list, um, it just, yeah, I'm guilty for sure. Definitely. And just as you said, sometimes it's the people who are closest to me that I'm the most guilty of. Yeah, think about family. I was having a, a conversation with a friend about how unique the relationship that we have with family is because we can do things against one another and we still love one another. Mm. But sometimes we don't treat each other well. Um, even if we don't hate them in our heart, we maybe maybe our actions seem to say that. Right. We're not loving them. Right. You know? In Heidelberg 107, I won't read the whole thing, but part of the answer is that we need to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards our neighbor. And so sometimes when I've failed to do that, failed to show peace and gentleness towards my neighbor, you know, maybe I wasn't hating, um, but it goes beyond that. It's the positive action as well. And in the larger catechism, it says hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat. Oops, I better be careful in that one. <laughs> Drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding. You know, and so I think of it, all those things, and I haven't even read them all. Wow, yeah. I am guilty of, of this commandment. So, um, commandment seven you shall not commit adultery. You know, I think that people think of adultery only in terms of if I, you know, am married and don't go and have an affair. But I'm going to tell you right now what other things fit into this. Having sex with anyone who's not your spouse. So that means if you are single and having relations with your boyfriend that is, that is a breaking of this commandment. Mm. And and we also know from the New Testament that if you've lusted, you are guilty of adultery. Um, yes, we have um, Heidelberg 109. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? And the answer is, since we body and soul are temples of the Holy Spirit— it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. So you even just think about your thought life, you know, maybe you're married and you're thinking, I'll never commit adultery, but you're checking out some guy walking by and having thoughts that you ought not. And it doesn't even have to be sexual. If you're having thoughts towards somebody who's not your husband, that would be only the sorts of thoughts you're to have towards your husband, then you are falling short. So there's uh, all of those things included in, in that um, commandment. We'll spend a little less time on some of these, um, but because I do want to spend a little time on coveting when we get to that. But now, uh, can you read number um, eight? Yes. Back in Exodus chapter 20, and we are on verse 15, you shall not steal. And so 
That is our Eighth Commandment. Heidelberg 1.10 says, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. This is pretty broad and far-reaching. Well, I'm starting to think right now, I think I borrowed a book from someone and never gave it back. <laughs> and that there, there is a sense where that, you know, we may all have that situation. There is, there is a sense where that's forgetfulness and not intentional. But I still am taking, keeping something of someone else's that is not mine, mm. that it is their property, they own it. Mm. Yes. Um, but even like even doing, um, I mean, there's people that cheat on their taxes. That yeah. that's a form of stealing. Well, and you know, I think about how I how I um, teach this commandment to my kids. Um, my I've said before, and on this episode, I've even said my kids are are pretty little, and so um, there there's just a lot of ways just around our home and being a member of a household that they are still not yet aware of. Um, how to contribute to the household. And, um, you know, for example, we have a, um, our dining room is sort of central to our house and is um, a, a walkway through. And a lot of things collect here, toys, crafts, lots of things. And um, so often there will be toys left and they will get trampled. They will be not well taken care of and they will get broken. And, um, I, sometimes I explain to my kids, you know, when a toy gets broken and we have to throw it away and they're upset about it, um, that you need to respect property and take care of the property that mommy and daddy bought for you. You have squandered this property and that is stealing. That is um, not taking care of something that God gave us to be a good steward of. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up because that that is something that all of us can do when the Lord blesses us with something, and not not caring for it, and anything that we have is a blessing from the Lord. So the the ninth commandment, and that is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And I am going to read all of the larger catechism on this one just because I think it's very good. What are the duties required in the ninth commandment? The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man, the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice, and in all things whatsoever, a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, a ready receiving of a good report, an unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanders, love and care of our own good name, and defending it when need requireth, keepeth, I'm sorry, keeping of lawful promises and studying and practicing of whosoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. And boy, does that convict me. 
Mm, definitely. I, I think about um, Heidelberg 112, um, what is required in the ninth commandment, and I won't read the whole lengthy answer, but the very last phrase, do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Oh, boy. I mean, um, there are so many times that we are talking and, you know, we think to ourselves, well, I'm not gossiping. I'm just saying something that's the truth. Oh, but was it necessary to tell this detail? And did it promote my neighbor's honor and reputation? Did it defend their honor and reputation? Um, It is a high bar and one that I would say that I fall short on often. And one thing I think we talked about this in a way early episode that in terms of gossiping and slandering, and I think we could fit some of that into what we're talking about here. And what I'm about to say is that we often justify. So if I say it to my husband, it's not gossiping. Or Mm. if I say it to my mom or to my best friend, or we use the term, I'm just venting. Mm, But what you're venting is not promoting your neighbor's good. Right. You're talking poorly about somebody. And in all of our words, it doesn't matter who they're to. It's not suddenly okay just because you're saying it to your husband. You may... uh, You may share secrets with your husband that you might not share with someone else, but venting in a way that is sinful, that is um, speaking unkindly Mm -hmm. about other people that is not promoting their good, um, we... Those things, even in our mind, are wrong. Yes, exactly. And I think sometimes we... We can fool ourselves into thinking that if the person I'm saying this to... I know won't repeat it, and they and I trust them not to repeat it. So, great example, husband. Um, then it's not gossip, and just as you just said, you know, it it is. And if I'm not promoting my neighbor's honor and reputation, then I'm breaking the ninth commandment. Um, it doesn't matter if I think that my friend isn't going to repeat it. Um, I repeated it. I said it and didn't promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Yeah, I think this is uh, in. Jerry Bridges' books, Respectable Sins. Mm. This is, I think this is, it's talked, or I think it's more gossip that's talked about in there, but I really think that this is one of the big things. So this is a sin that we justify. Mm, I agree. I think, I think that we justify sins. And you know what? Let me say this here, because we're all sinners that struggle with different things, but sometimes I will have people that are completely against gossip and slander but they they may have a different sin and it's and i think it's important to recognize all of the different things that fall under these 10 commandments because we should not feel prideful like you know well i never gossip or slander i never you know i only verbally promote my neighbor's good right um but we we also ought not um, be self-righteous. Right. And I think that this is where sometimes this is where these ex- exhaustive lists that give us um, really detailed idea of what the commandment is about can be very helpful. I, I'm thinking about um, a confrontation that I had to have recently um, with someone about uh, breaking the ninth commandment. And the person did not understand um, what had what happened was that this person um repeated a private conversation that had taken place between her and someone else about a disagreement. And she repeated some words that the other person had said 
outside of the conversation, and she repeated only the very worst things that that person said, and none of the good and encouraging things. And she took those things and put them publicly. Um, and uh, so I confronted this person and said, you know, this is this is a Ninth Commandment violation. You did not fairly represent this person who was ultimately encouraging to you. You only said the very worst things. And this person said, nothing that I said wasn't the truth. Well, okay, that is technically true. But then I go back again. What that person did did not promote her neighbor's honor, honor and reputation. It did not accurately represent the conversation that had happened. It did not fully show um, what that other person's heart was. And it was very clear that the intent was just to make that other person look bad. That is a Ninth Commandment violation. And let me say also, this goes for people that you don't like or maybe don't get along (laughs) with as well. You know, uh, it might be very easy to promote the honor of your husband, your best friend, your children, But there's probably, everyone can think of somebody in their mind that they don't particularly care for. Mm. It it goes for them. And and let me say this too. And maybe that person deserves to not be cared for. (laughs) Maybe that person has done things that are wrong, but that still doesn't justify it. Even if you've got someone over here sinning, you don't then justify your sinfulness in the situation. Mm, Absolutely. And I'll throw one last one in there. It's interesting that one of these... um, answers to the catechism questions, talks about that you need to care about your own reputation. Um, You know, sometimes I've come across people before that very much pride themselves on, I don't care what anyone thinks, I do what I want. And um, it is important for us to maintain a good reputation and care about our reputation. And we can break the ninth commandment that way. That And especially as Christians, you know, I've seen sometimes Christians behaving badly and other people come on and say, that's why I left the church because mm, of that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? We do need to remember that that what we're doing and saying does represent Christ. Yeah, especially when we're on social media and that is out there for everyone to see. So the 10th commandment, can you read the 10th commandment? Exodus twenty seventeen: you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your, covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, I heard a sermon on the Ten Commandments, and I can't remember everything from it, but I do remember what our pastor said on the, ninth, on the Tenth Commandment. And I'm going to actually read part of the larger catechism again. Uh, the sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment are dis content with our own estate, envying and grieving at the good of our neighbor, together with all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. And we live in a time where keeping up with the Joneses, this is something I struggle with a lot. You know, your friend has a nicer house, nicer cars, nicer furniture. Um, but I remember our our pastor said, because it talks in there about envying, but he said not not only ought we to not covet and envy, but we should be grateful to God for how the Lord has blessed them. Mm, yes. That has always stuck with me to when I do struggle with this and I'm feeling envious or covetous towards my neighbor to thank God for blessing them. You know, Colleen, you said exactly what I was thinking about with this one, that I think um, sometimes one of the ways that we fall short on this commandment is um, 
not necessarily thinking of, you know, I wish I had what my neighbor has, but, you know, wishing that they didn't have it. Um, I, I'm thinking about a conversation that I had with a friend years ago about um, uh, someone who said, you know, I'm getting ready to go on a, a vacation to Europe. And their friend um, said to them, oh, I hate you. And I think people say um, that sometimes as a joke, as a response to something good happened to you. But you know what we should say is that is amazing. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that God has blessed you that way. Instead of being um, jealous and irritated that someone else has a blessing that I don't have, um, I need to be grateful to God for blessing them. Yeah, I'll I'll be honest here. Uh, some good friends of ours in each other's weddings and um, known them for a long time. They're very very wealthy, and you know sometimes it that that's why I was kind of struggling with that. Um, you know why do we have to struggle financially? This is years ago, and and when my pastor said that, it really really helped a lot. But let me also say, if you are somebody that the Lord has blessed, you should also not feel like you are better than anyone just because the Lord has blessed you. Um, Because, you know, we know that that's part of common grace, that God causes the rain to fall on both the just and the wicked. And it's not necessarily an indicator that I'm amazing. It's just I need to be grateful to the Lord for his blessing. You think of there's a there's a lot of wealthy people that um, do not love the Lord. Yeah, and there are a lot of people who do love the Lord who are very poor. Um, I, I think about um, the church in other countries. Um, I have family that are missionaries, and I know you have family that are missionaries, Colleen. And so, you know, they've seen a lot of believers who have very, very little to their name in terms of worldly possession. But, um, that does not mean that they love the Lord any less. It's just not a reflection of of that. You know, one thing that uh, my family that have been missionaries have told me is that it's always very difficult for them to come back to the United States, that it's far more difficult for them to come back to the United States than to go to this other country, which you would think it would be the other way around. But what they said that's so difficult is the materialism that that we have here. And, you know, thinking about the materialism, if the Lord has blessed you, going back to the stealing commandment, we are still to be wise with the Lord, what the Lord has blessed us with. Absolutely. We need to be good stewards of what he blesses us with. You know, those of us, um, you know, I would say probably a lot of our listeners and um, certainly us on this podcast Um, We may not be independently wealthy, but certainly by um, the standards of most of the world, we are wealthy. And um, so there's a way that we need to be, there's a way that showing our gratefulness to God, part of how we work that out is to be good stewards of what he gave us and not be wasteful. We had a young uh, Russian girl come and stay with us for several weeks and she was from a Christian school in Moscow and she was also from a wealthy family in Moscow and at that point we had just moved to Colorado so we were living in an apartment still we hadn't found a house yet so we had this two-bedroom apartment uh we had one child at that time and she thought our apartment was amazing Mm. And when she saw the houses around she thought it was amazing so it is very different how we live here. I think that's why a lot of people 
think that every American has lots of money because we often, even if we don't have a lot of money, we may have far more than they have in other countries. Absolutely. So I, I don't want anyone to walk away from this feeling crushed. I want each of you to to look to Christ as our hope. And so, Angela, why don't you just quickly remind everybody of the gospel? Well, the gospel is that Jesus Christ perfectly kept all of these laws on our behalf, perfectly fulfilled the covenant of works on our behalf, died on our behalf to pay the penalty for all of the ways that we did not keep these. And what we can do is put our faith and trust in him and his finished, completed work of keeping all of these laws on our behalf. And God counts us as righteous before him because he imputes the righteousness of Christ to us when we respond in faith. And Angela, you and I were talking earlier about some of the differences between how the Reformed and the um, and the Lutherans see the three uses of the law. Mm. And I, I do think they don't have as great an emphasis on the third use, and I do think it's important, although they do have a third use of the law, mm. but we have a little bit different emphasis. But they also add to it, you know, see number two. <laughs> and, but, and what they're really saying is you're going to fail— in your obedience to the law, even as Christians, even as the Lord is sanctifying you, even as you are growing in obedience. And that's our hope, that we are being sanctified, that he walks with us, that um, that we will grow in obedience, but we should never, in our seeking to live in gratitude for what he has done, um, not have our eyes fixed on Jesus, because that is actually our motivation. And so often I think people come to Christ, and now I've got to keep God happy with me by obeying well enough. And it's so important to remember that our hope and the reason that we obey and the reason that we are able to obey is because we are being sanctified, the reason we are able to love God and neighbor. and um, But I, I can't say enough how much that when I am not being mindful of Christ and his work for me, that I fall flat on my face. Mm, absolutely. And so, you know, we keep in mind the gospel. We keep in mind that our righteousness before God is in Christ. And that helps us, just as you said, we keep our eyes on Christ and what he has done. And that helps us relax into the freedom to now obey and use that third use of the law, the rule of life for believers, out of gratitude. Yeah, we're free to obey. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any topic ideas for us, please email us at theologygals at gmail.com. We always like hearing topic ideas. This episode came from a suggestion from a couple of people. And um, if you'd like to support us, there's a link to either Patreon or PayPal on our website, theologygals.com, which we greatly appreciate. It just helps covers our monthly expenses and equipment and whatnot. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.